Hello and welcome to This Is A Token with Alex Monroe, the podcast that celebrates all things jewellery. I've spent half a lifetime designing and making jewellery, but what really interests me is what it means to other people. This is a podcast where we ask our guests about the jewellery they cherish most of all. We'll explore the moving, fascinating and often surprising stories connected to each piece and those emotional bonds that we just can't do without. My guest today is the content creator, fashion, beauty and lifestyle blogger and influencer Josie the Fashion Mumbler. Josie received a first class honours degree at the London College of Fashion and then started work at Mulberry in the marketing department where she found her love of all things fashion and luxury. She started her blog Fashion Mumbler, that's spelled M-U-M-B-L-R, but we'll put all that on the website, at the age of 19 and it's now recognised as one of Europe's most influential fashion blogs with a huge and loyal audience. Her YouTube videos have received over 88 million views. She has a brilliant Instagram account with over a quarter of a million followers. And together with her fiance, Charlie, they make a proper power duo. They're currently renovating a gorgeous house in the Cotswolds where Josie's doing a fabulous kitchen garden. We need to talk about gardening. We need to talk about dogs but we mustn't forget to talk about the jewellery as well. So it's with a huge thanks that I say to Josie, welcome to This Is A Token. I was filmed for a video and they called me the talent. Has that ever happened to you? Oh my gosh, yes. And it's like the talent, the celebrity, the influencer. It's words you can never call yourself no. without sounding like a total doorknob. But I thought I thought I could live in this world being yeah. called the talent. But then the you talent. must go, maybe go a bit loopy because you start thinking of yourself <laughs> as a talent. I um, think it's the funny world when you work in, in this industry because to 99.999 recurring of the population, no one gives a hoot about who you are, no one knows who you are, but that 0.000000 recurring 1% of people that do know who you are, they know everything about you. They know my dog's birthday, they know what I'm growing in the garden, they know what colour paint I've got on the walls, and it's as though they're your long lost best friend. And that's what's so fascinating about this whole world. Mm. It's crazy. I shouldn't really start out on this one, but do you get any, like, I've been kind of stalking you for the past few days, (laughs) and and I've just really enjoyed it. But you hear about a lot of sort of unpleasantness in the world of sort of social media. Did you get any of that? I mean, I, I didn't see any of it. So you do get a little yeah. bit of that yourself. Unfortunately, um, when you share every detail of your life, just the same as in real life, not everyone's going to love it. Yeah. And sometimes it might be something as small as how much milk you put in your cup of tea, that people completely mm. dis- disagree with that and you've done it completely wrong. Mm. But I think when you do share so much, you'd rather be sharing content that evokes some kind of emotion with your audience. Mm. And 90% of people love it maybe 10 percent hate it but at least you're stirring up some kind of emotion and i'm sure you're the same when it comes to jewelry you'd rather create something that most people absolutely love but a few people might say that's just not for me and if you were creating something that's really boring then no one's going to have any opinion i've interviewed lots of actors and people in the public eye and the difference with making jewelry is if you make jewelry that someone hates they don't tell you they just don't bother with it you know which i think is the you know if you don't like something don't look at it you know you do you don't have to have it if you don't like it there's seen seems to be some disciplines like acting or writing or influencing where people seem to think that it's okay to kind of 
vitriolic about them. You know, I don't, anyway, it's a, it's a weird one. So I'm lucky, I've avoided it. And we do do social media, but luckily I'm insulated because I have, I have a sort of social media team. So mm. for all I know, we get loads of horrible stuff in, but they just don't show it to me. Well, <laughs> something that I find quite fascinating is that often if I don't check my video comments for the first couple of hours, for example, normally I'm quite on it the first hour after a video mm. goes live. I want to see what the general vibe is of a video. But sometimes if I don't and I go back a couple of, couple of hours later, and someone has got really annoyed with how much milk I've put in my tea, for example, often other audience members have regulated it for me. They've already dealt with they've it. They've already come and they've got my back. And it really is that sense of community that is what I love so much about this world. My mum still says, when I say, oh, there's this brilliant series on Netflix, <laughs> she still says, what time's it on? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm kind of, you know, even with my wife sometimes, she kind of goes, Oh, isn't that thing on today? And you have to go, no, no it's all, everything's it's always, always on. on, you know. <laughs> so I'm kind of that generation. And so I, I didn't fully understand the whole YouTube thing because yeah. I don't use YouTube very much. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've been trying to research it. So I started following you and watching your videos. And um, last night, thanks very much, <laughs> I went out with my daughter and, and got back. And it was quite early, so I got back at about eight. I was up till like half 11 oh because gosh. I was just... They're very long. Trapped. Videos. But it's so engaging. Oh, thank you. And I wouldn't have thought, it sounds like I'm being rude, but I wouldn't have expected myself to have been drawn in. Yeah. I figured it's your personality. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there a trick or is, are you just brilliantly engaging in front of a camera? <laughs> That's very kind. I think what I realised in the last couple of years is that people just love seeing, this sounds very cliche, but they, people just love seeing you being your authentic self. Yes. And when I pick up the camera, this sounds strange, but sometimes I feel more confident in front of the camera than I do in front of friends and family because you're not talking to anyone and yet you're talking to so many people. But I try not to think of who's watching it at the end. It's just a really intimate moment. And I think people people are fascinated in the mundane parts of other people's lives. And I, I love sharing that as well as the exciting big moments. And I think it's just so real that people can relate to it. It's, real, it's very safe, very comforting as well. Yeah. It, it just feels really nice, like you're sort of in a room with, with a friend or something. I don't mm -hmm. know how you, it's like, I just feel like it's kind of some sort of genius what you do. Yeah. Because when I set up thinking, oh, this, you know, I'm not going to get this. Mm. Within two minutes, I was like totally in. So, in. I don't so. really cut too much out either. So for example, I was editing on the train coming in this morning and normally I would put some music over boring bits where I'm just trotting around the garden. But this morning, the clips that I filmed, just the birds twittering away and my dog Dickens, who can't bark, he can only howl, mm. throws his head back and howls. <laughs> normally I'd cut that bit out, but it's just, you know, that's the sounds of my morning. And I think, especially with where we live, we live in the middle of nowhere in the Cotswolds and a lot of my audience don't live in the Cotswolds and they love to just throw themselves into that and mm. I think sometimes by not cutting bits out whether it is you know the dustbin lorry coming or or the birds twittering away it's those bits that really transports you mm. and I think that that's what's quite nice about just having a video in the background you can just take yourself away somewhere and then have a chat about fashion or jewelry or and then you know the next minute you're doing something completely different and it just picks up on different pockets of interest do you know what's funny though? I was up for a, a job on TV and I thought I'd got it, but I had to go for this thing called a chemistry test where you have to go with the other person. And I was really worried about it. So it's like, oh my God, what do I wear? What do I wear? And I was like searching around. And in the end, it was a hot day and I wore too much. So I was like, I was like dripping with sweat. Everyone's advice mm. was just be yourself. Mm -hmm. That's all they want, be yourself. Yeah. And I was like 
yeah, okay, I get that. But what version of myself do you want? You know? Yes, oh my gosh. And so I think I live my life um, in anxiety. And mm -hmm. when I'm in a room with other people, and even sometimes, what's, what, what really is, even sometimes when I'm on my own, I'm thinking, who do I want to be? Or what version of myself do I want to be? And I'm, I'm not just, just super comfortable in my own skin being myself. So when people do tell me to be myself, I'm like, I don't know. Are you hugely self-confident? Or does it just come across like that? Or I think what you've just said is probably something that everyone thinks is a, a them problem, but actually isn't everyone problem. I don't think anyone has mm -hmm. one version of themselves. You know, humans are complicated creatures, and I think you've probably got professional Alex, you've got family Alex, you've mm. got working away in the studio Alex, and you've got your crazy going on nights out <laughs> Alex, maybe. But I think that when you feel comfortable sharing all sides of you, you know, that's for me, it's, there's the countryside Josie, there's the London Josie. You know, you don't have to pick one or the other, you can be all these different types of you. But with regards to confidence, I think I probably come across a lot more confident on camera than I am in real life. And that would probably be quite true of a lot of content creators online because when you think about how we started our jobs, it's literally us and a computer and no one else in the room. It's, a, it's actually a very isolating job. You spend a lot of time by yourself just talking to a little machine instead of real people. And I think that, like I said at the very beginning, sometimes I feel more confident talking to the camera than to, to mm. humans. Mm. And I say all the time, I prefer dogs to humans most of the time. I feel much more confident we talking to my dogs. <laughs> but I think that at the same time, doing this job has also thrown me in at the deep end. For example, something called a meetup where I'd have an event with hundreds of people would come and say hello and that to me had been the most scary part of this career mm. but at the same time you walk away from it and I'd be on a high for three days later because it's just such a an overwhelming thing to go through and something mm. that's so completely out of my comfort zone but at the same time probably one of the highlights and one of my favorite things I've ever done. Yeah, it's weird because I, I love doing, um, we do jewellery school where I get to meet people and we teach them jewellery and then I sometimes do events perhaps at Liberty or something and I meet people and talk and I absolutely love them. Um, and I am kind of buzzing, but um, I can't go home and sleep after, you know. No, it's, I'm and like, your cheeks hurt, don't they? Yeah, smiling, from smiling. And, <laughs> and, it, and it's like, quite often when I'm on, I'm kind of on, there's high voltage. And then when I want to go home and be off, the electricity and the, the zing is still there. And so mm -hmm. I find it quite hard to, to sort of wind down. I was just wondering, the Cotswolds and everything is so beautifully British. Do you have a big overseas following? Are they, are they looking yeah. for a sort of Britishness? Um, yes, actually a lot of my audience is in the US, yeah. almost as much in the US as they are in the UK. And I think that really started before I was in the Cotswolds. I think it was when I was doing mostly fashion videos. Now I'd say it's mostly vlogs, so a video of my daily life yeah. in, in the Cotswolds. But I think because my fashion sense is maybe quite typically British, um, you know, even today I'm wearing a giant yellow tulle skirt and a cute little cardigan. And I think that because it's potentially different to what content creators in the US were creating. Maybe the people that did have that slightly more unusual, quirky style, super feminine style, perhaps they didn't find what they were looking for in the US mm. uh, content creator realm, and so they, they tuned into me. And now, 
even uh, so Charlie and my other half and I we've, we've launched a holiday cottage in the Cotswolds and a lot of the people that are booking there they are my audience from the US so they want to just really experience that so cute they the want Cotswolds. they want the hol- they want the holiday experience from yeah. that movie the exactly. holiday don't they when yeah. they come to the Cotswolds and, and if only it would snow more often on Christmas I know, Day, so. I know. we nearly had snow this Christmas Aww. but yeah yeah so um, tell me about dogs because um, <laughs> you know one of my earliest memories was going to pick up our first border collie because I'm a border collie man and I was told that the first person to really hug it they'd get their smell and they would be your dog forever 100% and that magic of that just stuck with me ever since so I wouldn't couldn't imagine living without dogs how many dogs do you have at the moment? two dogs Dexter and Dickens and it's funny that you say that about your border collie because Dickens is my my youngest and he 100% imprinted on me that's the terminology that we used I think we stole from Twilight maybe Um, he 100% imprinted on me on the journey back from when we picked him up because he's a northerner he's from Leeds I think we got stuck in traffic and it was maybe five hours on the road Charlie was driving and so he was with me as a you know tiny little boy and I think during that five hour car journey where he was draped over my chest and in his little basket on my lap he became my baby and you know you say you can't choose a favourite child but I would say in our household Dexter looks up to Charlie as the male figure in the house whereas Dickens is very much my baby nice yeah. nice so I had a wonderful border collie called called Sheba, and Sheba's sister was called Suki. So this was when I was a little kid, yeah. and Sheba was our border collie. And we used to go off because we lived in the in Suffolk in the countryside, and we used to go off. It used to look like you know that. Have you seen that children's book where are going on a bear hunt where you get this yeah. ragtag bunch with a little border collie and we go and play <laughs> down by the river and get muddy and stuff? Yeah. And it was very much like that. And um, um, Sheba... Oh, all the background Perfect. noise. Uh, everyone. People might think you <laughs> added that in post-production, mightn't they? <laughs> <laughs> We've got the window open because it's a warm day, so we're going to have dog barking and the usual dustbin men normally come and empty the glass recycling. That couldn't have been better. (laughs) So listen, bear with us as usual please. When we had very small children we got this gorgeous little dog called um, Jessie. I felt very guilty because she died a, a couple of years ago and I was just completely and utterly, the wind was taken out of my sails. And I felt guilty because my father had died uh, um, recently before uh, Jessie died and I was I was sad about my dad but my god Jessie was you know the whole family and it took mm. me um, over a year before I could even think about about um, getting another dog but we got this gorgeous I always wanted a tricolour collie so we've got this gorgeous um, tricolour collie um, called Suki in honour of my original dog the sister of my oh, original lovely. dog which is cute and um, I thought I'd do an Instagram page yeah and I really worked hard at it. And um, I think I got like 250 followers, which I was really pleased about. But then I did a mistake because I started following everyone back. Mm -hmm. And someone here said, you don't want to follow everyone back. You just follow people you want to follow back. So I said, well, how do you unfollow them? And they showed me how to do it. So at lunchtime, (laughs) I went through my entire list and deleted everybody. And then I showed them and they said, no, you've deleted all your followers. And you're still following all these people you don't want to follow. So um, I think I realised that. Um, Instagram isn't my natural environment. At least you can blame that on the dog. But how heartbreaking <laughs> to be unfollowed by a dog on Instagram. I know. <laughs> well, I still, so I still do posts where I say, you know, where, it, where it's from Suki's point of view. So it's like, yeah. oh, I'm just, you know, looking after Alex today or something like that. But um, for someone starting out wanting to sort of, you know, get into say Instagram is there a specific route you take or I'm probably not the best person to ask actually because when I started it wasn't a career it wasn't a thing at all but before I forget a little tip for you for mm. dog following on Instagram 
Instead of following accounts, follow hashtags. So for example, I follow hashtag sausage dog, hashtag dachshund, okay. hashtag dachshund puppy, and then you get images from loads of different dog accounts, but you don't have to follow them all. So yeah. that's mm. the highlight of my morning is when I knew nice. hashtag dachshund puppy. I've got a tip. <laughs> yeah. Well, you remember and show me how to do that. <laughs> tip um, But yeah, I started so long ago. I'm one of the, the old timers in the industry that, to be honest, it was really a, a pure hobby. When I first was sent a free pair of boots, you know, it was the best day in the world. It was yeah. never an intention to make it a, a full-time job, but yeah. over the last 10 years, the industry has changed so, so much, and it's become um, a viable career. But I think my advice to anyone starting now would be, obviously, it's something that you have to be hugely passionate about because it's going to be something that's probably going to be running alongside your studies or your job for a couple of years before it can become a career. Mm. And you have to really love it so much that you're willing to put time in every single day for a couple of years. And if you don't love it that much, then maybe it's not something that you want to do for the rest of your life. So think about it. But I think as we've gone back to a few times, it's just that authenticity and just talking about what do you love? If you've got a really niche hobby or passion, whether it's looking up at your, your pieces, beekeeping mm. or um, cactus growing, mm. there's a community for that. And I think that there's never going to be another version of you on the internet. So that's the one thing that you can do is do what you're passionate about and people will come and flock to that. That's kind of my number one tip to jewellery designers is mm. to say, there is only one you. Yeah. So you need to, you need to make the most of that. Oh, and if the minute you try and sort of be the version of somebody else, mm -hmm. you're kind of losing because you're chasing rather than, exactly. rather than leading. Exactly. Um, tell me about your kitchen garden because that's the other thing that I absolutely love. Because I have a house in Suffolk and um, I struggle with my kitchen garden there and I'm going up this weekend to do another oh, bit. And I've actually done um, all raised beds mm -hmm. and they're quite high, so they're about a half a metre high. Good for bum perching. Um, they're good for bum perching. <laughs> yeah. And because my mum is 91 and she loves, we garden together. Um, so she can she can access them and, and do them much better. Yeah. But basically, my year is a battle with the slugs, snails, mice, pigeons, squirrels. It's like, oh God, would you just leave something for me to yeah. eat? But I try and garden like in harmony with nature rather mm -hmm. than I don't want to go around killing things. Yeah, of course. But um, yours is <laughs> yours is looking a bit nicer than my spread is. Oh, not right? at the moment. My kitchen garden currently is a mud pit because we're oh, actually yeah. renovating it. Right. So we inherited um, the kitchen garden with our house. For anyone listening, we live in a, a 700-year-old former rectory. It's gorgeous. Check it out. <laughs> Check it out. It's gorgeous. Old house, our home. And <laughs> We inherited the kitchen garden, but it was very much rotting away and we spent lockdown really learning how to grow things from seed. I bought sheets of acrylic to patch up the old greenhouse yeah. and spent far too long back breaking with a spade, pulling up the clay-based soil. But really that was, that was what got us through lockdown, was doing that gardening. Mm. And I think Charlie and I, we've always loved gardening, even when we lived in South West London in Clapham, mm. we had a garden the same size as this room, probably a bit smaller. We, we actually astroturfed the, the main part of it because no one in London has room for and lawn listen that. Up. Listen, up. we are in a tiny room, really. <laughs> this isn't a big room, so that's a small garden, right? <laughs> it, was, it was a petite garden, but boy oh boy, did we garden that garden. <laughs> Every part of it that wasn't astroturfed, we gardened. Charlie and I both love spending time outside. It's our real, it's our medicine, it's um, time together, it's time away from technology. So the seven, eight years that we lived in Clapham, we made that garden absolutely perfect. Mm. And I cried more about leaving the garden than I did about leaving the house when we moved. But when we moved, having this kitchen garden was just 
the beginning for me when it came to growing things from seed and you learn so much mm. when you grow from seed. I, I go around friends' houses and I talk about, gosh, how beautiful their viburnum is or, wow, you could start picking your cosmos now. And my friends that live in cities, they are so amazed by my gardening knowledge from the past two years. But when you've literally watched something growing from seed and you've watered it and you've kept it warm and you've practically cuddled it every morning, yeah. you you learn so much about the different plants. But whizzing forward to this year, because the old kitchen garden that we inherited was rotting away, mm. um, we've decided that this year our big project is renovating the kitchen garden. So at the moment it's just a sheet of mud, but we're getting new raised beds, we're getting an actual cutting flower garden put in. That was a lockdown thing for me, was doing a cutting garden. Yeah. And it's almost, it was such a surprise, because it's almost been the best, biggest success. Yeah. We had, I mean, particularly Cosmos, but we were flowing, uh, growing all these brilliant dahlias and things too. The house was full of flowers from June. I mean, I don't know, like, I guess sweet peas is another big thing we do. Right through to December, mm. and it was a brilliant crop. But with a cutting garden, you've got to be ruthless. You have to cut, cut, cut. You can't yeah. think, oh, it looks nice, I'm going to leave it there. That's the trouble. It feels a bit wrong, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, especially with Cosmos. <clears throat> the more you cut them back, the more they come back. And same with sweet peas. They're all yeah. going to go to seed if they don't. Yeah. So we just had my mother's 91st birthday party at her house in Suffolk. Her friends are dwindling. When he gets to be 91, but we got like 35 people together. Everyone was my favourites. But Harold and Ruth used to live next door to my mum and dad. They're a great sort of farming couple from Suffolk. Mm -hmm. And um, I took Harold around my kitchen garden and he was just dropped these pearls of wisdom about the type of manure I used that was going to raise the pH. So if I just sprinkled a handful of lime down there, he said, you'll double your crop. Wow. Um, so as a result, I bought a pH tester. Oh. Um, and I'm going to, he says pH, I think he said pH six or something anyway. Okay. And there's all these, all these things. And um, he said, That's if you have a- three gardening. I know. Into the chemistry of it, my goodness. And I'm then level one. he's really keen on chicken, uh, yeah. chicken manure pellets yeah. and he when he has a pot of something that isn't doing what he does he just pushes a couple into the pot and he says suddenly that'll sort okay. of explode so okay. he was giving me all these little in a, in this lovely Suffolk accent he was he was sort of saying yeah you want you want to put your chicken manure pellets on that boy <laughs> and, I, and so I wrote everything down on my phone so um, this year I'm starting the same as I have done every year with these ridiculously high hopes and it's all going to go horribly wrong but I think this year I'm going to crack it and I'm going to have the best crop of everything. Well that's the thing you learn so much every single year and you yeah. learn what your garden grows well even yeah. friends of mine that live less than an hour away their gardens grow completely different things to what mine does and what you were just saying about the pests that you get mm. in your garden mine are completely different I get butterflies eating my broccoli leaves and oh. I can't grow cauliflower whereas I've got friends that live in Brighton and I'm jealous of their broccoli <laughs> <laughs> I can't get mine past a couple of inches before we get well, look, if you and Charlie ever do a, uh, an East Anglian, you know, trip, um, you're, I don't know how you fit in, because obviously you, you must work so hard, and you seem to have all these brilliant holidays as well, so you, um, I sort of look and think, God, why did I, why did I only get two weeks in, in, in separate last well, year? Well, no, we make them look like holidays, but really they're work trips. I mean, everywhere that we go, we've got the camera out, and we because we capture everything, we capture everything but barely anything at the same time. So people sometimes think when they see an hour long vlog that they've seen our entire week. But actually, it's only an hour out of, yeah. my maths isn't good enough to tell me how many hours are in a week. Lots. But you know, exactly, <laughs> lots, lots, lots more than uh, one. Technically lots, so, lots, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly, it's, um, it's the highlight reel, that's for sure. By the way, um, listener, we're gonna put all the links on the website with this. But let's talk about Tariq.
because I think I met you for the first time when you visited a year ago. Or so. You yeah. have had time on now, yeah, exactly. everything, don't you? Because everything's gone faster. I know, we lost a year. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So everything, everything was further away than I thought. But yeah. um, Cue the bins. You, here come the bin then. <laughs> well, I'll shut this for now, but it's still going to be a racket. Um, but let's talk about jewellery because you were so kind because you've got lovely earrings in at the moment, I see. I don't know. But um, what is your relationship to your jewellery? Because obviously you love fashion and all things fashion and I look at your videos and you're wearing great jewellery in them. So tell me about your kind of history with jewellery. My early history with jewellery, well, okay, earlier than that history, my father, sadly no longer with us, used to own a sweet shop called Guelia, which apparently is a Welsh battle cry. Mm. And it was one of these really old-fashioned sweet shops. We had the big glass jars and there would be dolly mixture, licorice all sorts, love hearts. And I spent my childhood in that shop and just absolutely loved it. So sweets was one of my childhood loves and my second childhood love was jewellery. And I would say my third childhood love was making money. So I combined all of these things together. My first detention at school was for uh, reading the, the fortune of my fellow classmates and apparently you're not allowed to earn money when you're five years old at school, but never mind. So I thought I'd do something a little bit more legit than reading people's um, dreams. And I used to make jewelry that looked like the sweets in my dad's store. So I would order this Fimo clay, I don't know if you ever yeah. Fimo clay, I'd order bulk loads of that online and I'd sit there watching America's Next Top Model and I'd be moulding the clay and you know my hands would ache so much from moulding and making up these different colours of clay. But I have to show you some photos, I would make exact replicas, the exact same size as Dolly Mixture, the wow. crucial sauce, and then I made silicone moulds of love hearts so that my jewellery looked exactly like the love heart sweets and I would sell it to school fairs, I sold it online. And that's maybe where I learned about website building as well, was building this this jewellery website. I feel, um, we might have to cut this bit out, but I feel a collaboration coming on. Don't you feel like we could get together and do some sweet jewellery? It just sounds oh such God. fun. Sweets and sausage dogs. <laughs> I mean, what 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 could be better? Oh, but you, you, <laughs> but you, have you got a photo? I mean, this is not your style at all. Have you but... got? Well, this isn't this isn't about my jewelry. This is a, this is about you know this the whole the point about journey. this podcast is is, for, is about other people. So yeah. So um, well, I'll show you a photo, and you might gasp because it's very. I, I use the word geegory. I don't know if that's a real word, but if you Google fiction candy jewelry, wow, that is my website, and, even and is it still one, it's still there? It's still we can there. still find. But I don't think you can buy anything on it anymore. I sadly don't don't have the claim. <laughs> I would spend hours like this one is like a McDonald's fish and chips. That's a actually burger. really good. <laughs> and bear in mind, this is when I was maybe 13, 14 Your years old. Yeah, also that is amazing. And and you've actually <laughs> invented casting for yeah. the love hearts. Yeah, so it was just a silicone circle and I would press real love hearts in it, which was sacrilege because then I couldn't eat them. Um, <laughs> and then just press the clay in. And then I would buy in bulk these sterling silver um, earrings and glue them on. I made pendant necklaces, they were my best seller, pendant necklaces. That is good gear. Yeah, That is great. very good. I thought it was going to be Naive and childish, but that is quite sophisticated and wow. really good looking. It became I mean, it's quite great. trendy, and and because I was selling it at school, you know, the cool girls. Sadly, I wasn't part of the cool group, but mansion was <laughs> the way then to wear it. But you were supplying the cool girls. Exactly, <laughs> supplying the cool girls is where you want to be. But that, wow. that was my my hobby throughout my teenage years. You know, you're saying that you sort of pressed. 
the love hearts and then and then cast into them. Yeah. To my shame, and I don't recommend anyone, any of my listeners doing this, at the end of primary school, I had never learned casting, but I learned how to cast 50 pence pieces. And then I would melt white metal, like, you know, that sort of toy cars are made you out of, or lead. And, and I'd cast 50 pence. <laughs> and in those days, you had um, cigarette machines. So the way to launder the money was you'd, I'd go to the cigarette machines and I'd buy packets of cigarettes, then I'd sell the cigarettes. Uh, on the street or at That's school for, for clean money. Yes. But it's slightly <laughs> it was slightly sort of darker than the old user. Oh but I mean it's still it's still a kid yeah. using inventiveness mm. and creativity. Because for me as well it was it was like right I need money. I mean it, obviously mine was a bit more literal so I made money. But um, you're pretty much the same thing like how can I make a few bob? Mm. And then you're using your artistic creative and imagination yeah. because I guess you've never been taught how to cast something this is no. all your own invention yeah exactly and then later on in school I did study ceramics mm. but again we didn't actually do casting there it was more hand moulding and that was great fun but do you know what what you just said about <laughs> money laundering when you were pieces <laughs> I don't know if you felt the same, but I felt that any activity like this in school was always really looked down upon. Yeah. It was very much, oh, you're doing something that's not on the, what's it called, um, time Curriculum, yeah. Curriculum, yeah. exactly. Stop doing that. And any time I tried to sell these pieces during my break time, that was instantly quashed. It wasn't something that was really celebrated, whereas now I think anyone that's doing something a little bit against the status quo is it's celebrated, but that's really, I think, changed over the last 10 I years. I hope so. I mean, it's a very common story, isn't it? People like Jamie Oliver, or, or you know, really successful and creative people yeah. struggled through school because they, mm. they, they just had a slightly different approach on how to do things. And, yeah. um, but I think sometimes that that's why the world of YouTube is great, because mm. it opens your eyes to so many different career options in mm. so many different industries because I grew up um, on, on the edge of a small town in Wales. Did you? Yeah, just on the English-Welsh border. Oh, what, whereabouts? It was ross on wye which is literally oh, on the English-Welsh Oh, how beautiful Welsh border. it is there, though. But there's no marketing companies there, no, no. jewellery designers, apart from me, of course. Me, of course. <laughs> um, and it, it just wasn't the world that I now live in and I didn't know that this world existed because none of my friends' parents worked for fashion companies, none of my friends' parents worked in marketing. So I, even at the age of 18, I didn't know that marketing could be a career option. I didn't know that anything other than studying English was, was a legit option. But I think now with the world, going back to the world of YouTube, I think you see people's career journeys and you know there's so much more content out there now podcasts youtube videos instagram stories you see so much more of the world and i think that growing up and being in school now they're so much more worldly because you know so much from seeing all of this content online weirdly with my kids they're more worldly but they're also less responsible or something so when we were kids in the cup we didn't have much parenting and we'd go off and if you know we did have people would break their leg when we'd be miles from anywhere or you know someone would knock themselves out and they'd be unconscious and we'd have to drag them back flank down a car get them to hospital and sort things out whereas That's now life experience yeah, that was life experience yeah and so we weren't we weren't sort of very worldly but mm -hmm. my kids now i mean at a very young age they were like you know giving me all the attitude and you know kind of sucking their teeth and all that kind mm -hmm. of thing in a very south London way but you know basically they'd only just learn how to tie their own shoelaces so they, they yeah. thought they were so worldly but they sort of also weren't in a weird way. Yeah, I think that that's why it's so great if you can 
have a year of life experience, maybe not necessarily like a gap year between uni and school or, or school and uni rather, but I, I think that actually when I went to uni it was so noticeable those that had had that year out because that year of just getting life experience and getting thrown into a job and you know we've all been interns, we've all done the, the, the nitty gritty, the bits that really get the cogs moving in a, in, a, in a company down at the very you know small level, but I think that's what really grows you as a person even more so than a university mm. degree. It's, just life. No, I agree. I agree. Thanks, Jordy. So, do you have any of these pieces of you at, at home? Have I you have almost like a little museum. Oh, <laughs> one of each. Um, but then, um, Sample range. Yeah, exactly. Just just one of each. Mm. The fast food bracelet definitely being my favourite. Mm. I would probably do a Shake Shack version now if I still still have a play. <laughs> or a mac and cheese, like a mini mac and oh, cheese. Oh, I want to see it. I want to see the mac and cheese. <laughs> right, one. maybe we can do some macaroni. Or something. <laughs> That's another of my loves. Um, but yeah, I, I kept one of each for prosperity. Nice. And do you know, I think I would lose my mind if I ever saw anyone wearing one of these pieces down the street. But it must be quite surreal for you when you see people in real life wearing your jewellery. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it's slightly different because now we're so much, it's a very much a team effort. So mm. I can see the business as a sort of third party kind of thing. Yeah. But it has been, for me, it's been my favourite thing. I'll never, never, never forget the best point in my life when I got on the on the tube, anyway, public transport somewhere, and um, a young woman sat opposite and she, Obviously, she'd just done herself up ready to go out and she was wearing a dragonfly necklace. Oh. But it was like, I just, I could just see that she was, she was all excited and she was going out and I figured she was going on a date and she yeah. really made herself look nice. And you could just see the last thing she'd done, the last touch was to put that and just, that all, and it looked really nice on her and I just thought, oh, you know. Did you say anything? That's what, no. I have stopped people, I've been in Australia and stopped people and said, oh, I made that be, for example. But it seemed like it was so, such a special moment yeah. for her. And it was just beautiful, mm. and um, that was a million times um, better than seeing, you know, a supermodel wear it on the on the cover of Vogue or something, which is yeah. still good. Mm. But that's what that was so because beautiful. Because she's beautiful chosen moment. that for yeah. an emotional moment of her it life. It was real, and it was it was so like personal and mm. intimate, and you know, it's like, mm. oh, this is too beautiful for me to for me to in any way encroach on. It's all what it's yeah. all about, you know. That was so that was so beautiful. So yeah, that is lovely. Maybe she's listening to your podcast and will remember. <laughs> she won't know, I don't she'll know. Well maybe it could be anyone could be. <laughs> <You> um, know. <laughs> Did you graduate from sweetie jewellery, making your own sweetie jewellery, to <laughs> other sorts of jewellery? Um, sadly, it never got um, more refined than the candy jewellery. Well, I think that's pretty um, good stuff. <laughs> that was, that was where I stopped, and then I realised other people in the world were much better at making jewellery than mm. I was. So I actually jumped quite quickly to the, I, I don't know if this is a legit term, but I call it like the demi-fine jewellery. Mm -hmm. That's my happy place. That, that, can, that can set people at each other's throats, the term demi-fine. Really? Some people hate it. I, I, I'm completely unsnobbish about jewellery. I just think jewellery is jewellery, and if, mm. it, if it if it makes someone feel good or does what it's supposed to do, I don't care whether it's fine, demi-fine, or what anyone calls it. Yeah. But a lot of people get cross about demi-fine. <laughs> Gosh, the things that make people angry. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I think crazy. I think it's I think there's a threat from the sort of proper posture as if they think they're being sort of undercut somehow. Okay. But I, I I don't know about the term, but I like demi fine because mm -hmm. it's. It's it's kind of fine jewelry that's as far as I'm concerned, it's fine jewelry that's more affordable and, yeah, exactly. and you know 
the, the, hopefully the model of, of some wealthy man buying a piece for a woman to in some way mm. claim ownership of that is well and truly in the past. And now so. women want to buy things for themselves and exactly. look great and Demify fits into that beautifully, I think. Yeah. It does. And I think that it's a really, it's a happy place when it comes to the price point because you're paying for really beautiful quality pieces mm. and yet you're not necessarily paying for a, a brand name. And I think that that, that somehow a jewelry does feel like a little bit more of a rip off even than clothing, you know, people yeah. pay big money to have Gucci or Louis Vuitton mm -hmm. plastered all over their, um, their bags or whatever. Checking what bag I've got. <laughs> <laughs> I've got with me. Um, but when it comes to jewellery, it's the quality that you want and not necessarily, yeah. you know, you can't put a brand name on, on jewellery, so it's the quality and the design that you want to pay for. So I think that that's why that price point, and I, I don't take my jewellery off. I wear these pieces every day. I, I shower in them, I sleep in them. Wow, I was just thinking how well maintained they look. Oh, really? Yeah, I've got, I just bought one, oh, I'd be interested to know your thoughts actually, this little thing from Amazon, with you put the water in and then it yeah. buzzes. They're Do great. Amy's more of a nice book, they're great. great. It's, a, it's an ultrasonic, so it's, yeah. it's, this, it's a sound that creates um, waves in the mm. in the solution. And I think wow. you just need to use kind of warmish water with a bit of soap in, and they, they're fantastic. Oh, good. But for I do for that heavy stuff. Week. We were, I was thinking you've inspired me. I've got to get back onto YouTube because I used to like making little making videos, but yeah. I thought we'd do a, a jewellery care one. Yeah, you that should. Amy. But like a, a, a soft toothbrush and warm soapy water is generally a good start, but yeah. those ultrasonics are brilliant. Yeah. Okay, good. So hopefully it'll work for you. Yeah. yeah, I thought they were looking very nicely organised. Oh, good. What do you have on? Well, actually, funnily enough, coming to the Film and Jewelry podcast, I'm very minimal today. This is actually probably the most minimal that I ever get. I've got my usual cluster of rings on the middle finger of my right hand, and these are just ones... Actually, because of my job, I am very lucky to work with quite a few lovely jewellery brands, mm. and I tend to just cherry-pick my favourite pieces, and they become part of my everyday cluster. So, if I'm allowed to mention other brands... You, this is totally <laughs> not a sort of totally promotional one for our brand. I, I would say jewellery industry, everyone's lovely, we all get yeah. on, we all support each other, oh, so good. there's none of that good. at all. So. And the thing with jewellery is, you don't have to only wear one brand. You no, know, I'm no. not wearing all one brand when it comes to my outfit, my bag. So these are a mixture of brands that I love. So I've got some Majuri, some... Um, we love Majuri. That's a great, a great company, great designers. Yeah. They've got a lot of similarities with you. They love, you know, obviously the recycled materials and they're very responsible when it comes great to... Great on responsibility. Um, similarly, Astrid and Mew, they do some really lovely pieces. That is gorgeous. And I think this is a, a Missima ring. Mm. <laughs> We're a real full cluster here. And then a Majuri at the top, so it's mm. a Majuri sandwich. And then I've got a beautiful Alex Monroe. Would you call this Hawthorne? It, it's it's like um, a wild strawberry with the little oh. with the little petals and flowers, but Stone. yeah, it, it's it's kind of whatever you want it to be. With, the with those little stones, fresh in. blue stones. Oh, do you know what that ring's actually called? I do. Wild posy. Yeah, so posy is kind of could posy. be anything. Oh, I, think, yeah. I think it was drawn from um, wild strawberries. And I love the colour of the stones in here, and it reminds me of the colour of the ocean in the Maldives, which is ah. where I was proposed to. Ah, so and which leads us on to that gorgeous ring. <laughs> which has got a little secret inside. I actually can't get it off because okay. my fingers have increased in size since it was put on. But it's actually got engraving on the inside, which is the exact coordinates of the island that we met and where Charlie proposed Aww. six, five years ago. 
Wow. Yeah, that's the story of that one. Um, he's a bit of a sweetheart, isn't he? He is, yeah. He's he's um, a very romantic, old-fashioned gentleman, is, is Charlie. He'll If he was here now and someone needs to go to the bathroom, he'd stand up. Uh, you know, very traditional British manners, which, again, some people think is terribly old-fashioned and pompous, but I think is really lovely. Well, I loved... I watched one of the... I think it was called, like, a boyfriend tag or something. That was when, yeah. when, I, when I got... I've got to actually go to bed now, because this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> but you, you guys were so cute. It was... Was great. Does he do fashion blogging and influencing full time, or, or is he also doing other things? He is a man of many talents. So if if you've watched Downton Abbey, he's also the Tom Branson of our house because the, our house is so old. It it really is something that we've learned is that it takes up a lot of time. Yeah. Even um, we're getting one of the walls repointed. Who even yeah. knew that repointing was a thing? And we're now we've got a blacksmith on speed dial carving things up for us. And it's all of these jobs that actually take up so much time. So Charlie is sounds very grand. We call him the estate manager. Lovely. <laughs> so after everything mm. at the house and the holiday cottage, um, which actually probably takes up about 80% of his time, mm. and the other 20% he's um, pulled in many directions, whether it's me for helping with our channels and Charlie manages the house Instagram channel and he also manages his own channels as well so Charlie's always very very busy I just feel like you've got you two would just be like constantly sat there both on your phones and stuff like that but do you have do you have downtime I mean obviously we, the gardening sounded really great do. and the dogs that's that's going to be great ways to go with yeah them, I think it got to a point maybe about six years ago that we were arguing a lot because I was always on my phone and Charlie was just starting in this uh, kind of content creator mm. world and I was obsessed with it and just wanted to be working all the time as you know when you have your own company you know the more you put in the more you get out so mm -hmm. I was just addicted to working and always always on my phone whether it was checking Instagram checking my emails because we can run our businesses from our phones and there were no boundaries in the evenings first thing in the morning I would be on my phone and we had quite a few arguments about it because I yeah. wasn't in the room even when I was in the room and I think it was really that only really dramatically improved when we moved house and during lockdown work really slowed down because for us in digital marketing we were very easy for brands to turn off or to pause because you know the nature of what we do is quite mm. quick work mm. so a lot of brands said you know what we don't know what's going on right now let's just hold fire mm. so our work suddenly after signing up to this massive mortgage yeah. just was all perfect <laughs> timing yeah, yeah great um, beans on toast for us oh. but because work really slowed down and we put our focus elsewhere that was almost forcing us to realize that there's more to life than reset work and which slow was, down. there was so many awful things with the whole crisis but there was a degree of reset for a lot of people wasn't for there, a lot of people great. and i think that the one of the great things to have come out of the pandemic not that you know we'd never wish it upon mm. it to happen but i think a lot of people really fine-tuned that work-life balance even friends many friends of ours moving to the countryside and getting out of the city i think that really realizing what's important in life and yeah. that is actually the real life people that you're surrounded by and not what's going on on your phone yeah yeah. Uh, Josie, thanks for your time because we, you're so busy. Have you got a nice day ahead? I have. I've got a couple more meetings, but actually, um, I think I might nip through Selfridges as well and <laughs> see if anything Always worth a little see. trip to Selfridges, <laughs> exactly. yeah? Exactly. I feel like we could talk all day about dogs and gardens. And well, and do you know, if you're ever East Anglia Way, we're in Suffolk, come and uh, swing by and have a look at my that. pathetic um, <laughs> kitchen garden, but maybe dogs. Yes. Um, we're in the middle of a huge forest and it's the best, best dog walking place in the world and we can go and get muddy down by the river or, or walk through the forest so they, they can chase 
rabbits until the cows come home. So um, it's a great place for dogs, great place for gardening. Oh, <laughs> so it's everything you'd like. Sounds very, very similar to our neck of the woods. Great. I do love it down there, but I'm, yeah. I can't help being a Suffolk boy, so I'm sort of stuck, stuck in Suffolk. It's like when you're in London, you're either a North Londoner or a South Londoner. <laughs> South Londoner and Suffolk me. Yeah. I don't know what that says about me. But um, anyway, thanks for your time. Brilliant. Thanks, thanks for coming along. And if you're ever in the Cotswolds... Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you'd like to see some of the pieces we've been talking about, or for more information about any of the issues we've discussed, please check out our website and follow the links to the podcast page. You'll also find information on how to share your own stories, give a bit of feedback, or have a look at all the jewellery-related things I've been up to recently. We've also got some great jewellery-making tutorials on our YouTube channel. There's lots to see. Just go to www.alexmonroe.com.